Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grow You podcast. Grow You is a podcast based out of Woodlands Church in Plover, Wisconsin. Our hope is to help you better engage issues going on in our culture with the truth of the Bible. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page and leave a comment. We hope you enjoy today's episode with your hosts, Matt and Nate. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Grow You podcast. Uh, we are excited in this episode to be talking about politics, uh, nationalism, a couple oh, other topics. Yeah. Uh, so we are excited to dive into that. And, and uh, who are you? I'm Nathan. Nate Mike Brown. Nate Mike. Nathan. You can find me on Instagram at nate.mike. NMB. And for those of you who are crew students who have done a summer project, we don't Whoa. mean North Myrtle Beach. You mean summer mission. Summer mission. Summer mission. Dang it. We don't mean North Myrtle Beach. We need Nate Mike Brown. NMB. Yeah. Well, Nate Mike. Nice to meet me. The, <laughs> the first and original OG. We are joined again by the one, the only... Eric Horman. And actually, sorry, Eric, I'm just going to say, oh, yeah. don't actually follow me on Instagram. It's just rare pictures of our little guy, Henry. So it's not that exciting, oh. and it, I don't post it very it often. sounds exciting. Henry's a very adorable child. He is. Frustratingly adorable. Um, it hurts. I'm not trying to start a movement. Yeah, wow, you should, though. <laughs> yeah, you really should. <laughs> the, the cute Henry movement. Yeah. So cute, it's frustrating movement. Yeah. Sorry, Eric. Yes, yes Eric's hi. still here. I'm Eric. There's the high. He just raised a coffee cup to the microphone. <laughs> raise a glass to freedom. Oh, that's right. Speaking of speaking of us having this conversation today, raise a glass to freedom, indeed, indubitably. We're really excited to talk about this stuff, and yeah. um, I think Matt's gonna kind of just start us off, and uh, we're gonna kind of dive into the idea of uh, politics and nationalism, what it means to be a citizen. Uh, and he's going to start filming that through maybe somewhere you wouldn't have gone first in the Bible, uh, but that's kind of going to be where we start. Yeah, and where do you go with this but the prophet Daniel? Says no one ever. <laughs> you know, Babylonian captivity. That's the thing. I mean, no one would ever, and when we live free, uh, nobody would ever say, let's go to a, an example of someone who's living in captivity. To discuss that, but I think Daniel is the ideal place to start with that conversation. Uh, so we're going to look at Daniel chapter seven today. Um, those of you at home who are just thinking, I want to read this along with you. Uh, I'm reading in the CSB version, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, ESV will work just fine too. Whatever. Really, most English translations will work just fine. That's another conversation. But um, going to make a message. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question for you: yeah. Can you give us like a one-minute synopsis of what's happened in Daniel up to this point? Great question. So um, in the book of Daniel, what we are reading about is Daniel and his friends who are part of uh, Israelite nobility or higher culture of Israel. So they are people who were um, perhaps in involved some way in like the kingship court in Israel. Ultimately, what happens is Babylon invades Israel and pretty much wrecks Jerusalem, and it's the, it's the second time they've invaded Israel in this in this point uh, in history, and the second time they the first time they invade and they kind of set up like a puppet king, <coughs> and the puppet king then just does some stupid stuff, and the second time they invade they raise Jerusalem to the ground, and take all of the um, Israelite nobility and people who were like in politics, artists, 
culturally uh, savant people, and they take them back to Babylon, as it was kind of custom. And so these people, Daniel and his friends, are taken to Babylon, and uh, they're in exile there. Well, there's some people left in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is basically like a wasteland at this point. Um, And a lot of these people who drove the Israelite culture forward are now in Babylon. And the whole goal of the Babylonians is to assimilate the world into themselves. Uh, assimilate all the country, and they do this with countries that they take over. Um, it's kind of each every ancient power in this world, like Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians. They all had their mo of what they would do, and Babylon was one of the places that just kind of uh, took people in exile back to yeah. Babylon. <laughs> and so Daniel and his friends are in Babylon. Pledge your allegiance to us. Yeah, pledge your we allegiance are, to us. We are yep. the primary and best way to rule and view the world. Yep, yep, exactly. That's... We are we are the the lens through which you should see the world. And Nebuchadnezzar demonstrates that. King Nebuchadnezzar does demonstrates that in multiple ways. Um, in that, I mean, one of the first things we read about is um, Daniel and his four friends being educated in uh, like Babylonian culture. And really, they're being educated in like Harry Potter witchcraft kind of thing. Just kidding, not Harry Potter, but like they're being educated in like like <laughs> like right. Don't post that on. Don't Facebook. post that. Don't post that. Um, uh, <laughs> they're being educated in uh, divination, so the seeking of other gods besides Yahweh, the one true God. As Jews, they believe that um, they're being educated in that. They're being educated in um, different languages, Babylonian dark arts um, by. Professor Severus Snape, who's always nice. wanted that job, but got it finally. <laughs> Sorry. Not Quirrell. <laughs> Not Quirrell. Quirrell is a bad, bad man. I don't mean like Stephen A. Smith says Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. <laughs> Although pretty similar. Similar. Similar but different. So uh, Quirrell, Rodgers. Uh, Eric's a Vikings gosh, fan. What so. is underneath that helmet? Oh, gosh. Horcrux? <laughs> <laughs> only only <laughs> um, So ultimately, though, there's... Um, so Daniel and his friends are here. They're getting educated in this, and they're told that they have to, like, essentially eat a certain diet. And Daniel and his friends are like, no, let's – I would actually – we're going we're gonna to basically say issue, – issue a challenge here, an ultimatum kind of. Uh, allow us to eat only vegetables and water for a few days and see what happens to us. This is more than a one-minute synopsis, synopsis. That's fine. And, this is good. Um, <laughs> what ends up happening, though, is that uh, God blesses their decision to remain faithful to the Jewish dietary restrictions, like the law restrictions. God blesses that. And after 10 days, these people are healthier. They are thriving in their classes, and they're killing it. And so uh, you see Daniel and his friends kind of elevated to a higher echelon of society, and they end up actually working in King Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's court, um, but you see another instance where Nebuchadnezzar, um, later on in the book, Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive gold statue of himself, of course, and, um, demands that every tribe, tongue, and nation, this should sound familiar, every tribe, tongue, and nation bow before it. That should really sound familiar. Uh, it harkens forward to Revelation, uh, and the idea of every tribe, tongue, and nation bowing before Jesus, but this is what the nations that take over Israel do. This is what nations do, according to the book of Daniel. They declare themselves to be God and demand that every tribe, tongue, and nation bow to them. Um, Really interesting juxtaposition because Daniel and his friends don't believe that. And so when um, Daniel's off doing something in this story, but um, Nebuchadnezzar basically demands that everybody, when they hear the liars play and the trumpets blow, they're supposed to all bow down before the statue and his 
friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, which is their given Babylonian names, uh, they don't bow out of reverence for Yahweh. They refuse to bow to this. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar gets, under, not understandably, uh, he gets a little upset. <laughs> and in uh, he says, basically, take them and throw them into this massive hot furnace. And in the process, Nebuchadnezzar sacrifices a bunch of his own soldiers to accomplish this ridiculous execution because Nebuchadnezzar, being God, doesn't care what happens to people uh, who serve him as long as he accomplishes his goal. Another classic MO of the people who take over Israel, the uh, the nations who do this, declare themselves to be God and lay waste to everything to accomplish their goal. Um, so, ne- so at this point, um, Nebuchadnezzar throws them into this incredibly hot furnace that is so hot it kills people that are throwing them in. And uh, after a while, Nebuchadnezzar notices that the three men are standing in the furnace, this hot fire, still fine, and there's a fourth person there. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar says it's one that looks like a son of man, right? Uh, there's a really interesting little uh, play on words here that the author does in this little section because he says that people, um, he says that Nebuchadnezzar uh, earlier builds a statue or an image of himself. And uh, later, um, later after Nebuchadnezzar um, realizes what's going on, uh, he, it's said that his image becomes distraught. His face, his countenance becomes distraught. It's a really funny play on words. Um, anyway, um, builds an image of himself, and then later his his image gets really distraught at what's going on. Uh, hilarious. I'm just trying to figure out if Matt likes the Book of Daniel. Yeah. Oh, I love the Book of Daniel. I'm still trying it's to figure so this out. Uh, so ultimately, though, uh, God rescues these three in their faithfulness to him in the midst of exile, in the midst of being forced to bow before another, another um, way of life. It's very different from theirs. They are uh, rescued by God and kind of rewarded for their faithfulness. So that brings us to Daniel chapter 7. There's more that goes on there, but for the sake of time, we'll just dive into it, right? Great. <laughs> Nate said one minute, and I was I, like... This is, this is a YouTube video. They, they would have flashed the three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. They would have hooked. SpongeBob They would have, though, too. Uh, anyway, so Daniel 7. Starts out with this. Uh, it says, In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, which the next child we have I will name Belshazzar, um, mm. Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. And he wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea, and four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. That's super violent. Um, After this... While I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth, and it devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn A little one came up from among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. 
As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands (coughs) served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the arrogant words, the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So, we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there just because that's... That is a trippy dream. That is super trippy. Um, He interprets it later, so we're just going to talk through what he says in interpreting. Yeah. So, ultimately, there's this little theme that goes on in the book of Daniel that... Um, if you had noticed, there was a lot of trippy things. Let's start here, I guess. A lot of trippy things about, uh, about, uh, beasts and horns, right? Um, and don't miss the forest through the trees in this scenario where I think it's really easy to, um, start asking like, ah, oh, what does this beast mean? What does this beast mean? And what does this beast mean? Cause really what's happening in Daniel, Daniel's what's called apocalyptic literature. And so that means it doesn't mean fire and brimstone, into the world, you have to interpret exact meaning and figure out exactly what everything means. What it does mean is that apocalypse, um, the apocalyptic literature comes from a, a, a Greek word, which essentially means to peel back and to reveal, to reveal. It means nothing about fire and brimstone, but it means uh, revelatory. So that's why the mm-hmm. uh, book of Revelation is called like the apocalypse of John, right? Like there's this idea that it's revealing, pulling back layers of the onion to show how things really are. Like, there's an image of things that we see, but when you pull it back, apocalyptic literature tells you uh, how things really look and what the state of things really is. Uh, so that's, what, that's what's happening here. Um, and so these beasts, they represent, they represent kingdoms of the world. No, not, not necessarily meant to be any specific kingdom uh, in history, but they represent kingdoms of the world. And they... Uh, they kind of grow in their violence throughout the dream, too. Like, one says to gorge itself on flesh, but the last beast, like, crushes everything in its teeth, and it, it like, destroys everything in its path, and um, they all have horns. Anytime you read about horns, it's this representation of pride and arrogance and hubris, and that's what horns are meant to represent um, in prophetic, like, literature and bi- biblical Hebrew poetry. It's horns are pride. Um, bigger the horns, more horns, more prideful that that thing is. And so what Daniel is being shown here is this idea that uh, kingdoms of the world uh, are contrasted with the kingdom of God and kingdoms of the world, like they're separated, but they kind of exist on the same plane, right? Like it's easy for us to say that the kingdom of God is this ethereal thing somewhere else. But what we read in the New Testament is that the kingdom of God is actually a very tangible thing that Jesus, when he inaugurated his ministry, Uh, brought in bits and pieces into the world. He inaugurated this kingdom of God here and now. Um, John the Baptist tells us that, that the kingdom of God is here. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. He doesn't say repent for the kingdom of God is elsewhere, ethereal, or doing something else. It's here now. So repent. 
and be part of it. Uh, and there's an idea that in we you know we as Christians. Uh, in everything we do, we bring little bits and pieces of the kingdom of God. We enact those little bits and pieces of the kingdom here and now. But in the meantime, Jesus, when he comes, will restore that kingdom in full. When we when we talk about kingdom, yeah. um, can you help us understand? I think that term kingdom can get lost because it's not, we don't, in America, we're not living in a kingdom. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to understand that idea of kingdom. So can we talk about just really brief, kind of give an idea of what kingdom means. Yeah, totally. So kingdom kingdom is actually, uh, I would say it's a very, it refers to any, I would literally say it refers to any nation in our world. Like country, <clears throat> think country, think uh, dictatorship, think democracy, think you name it. A kingdom is an institution that leads. It's a, something that you're part of, a large mass institution that you're a part of. It's a thing that's here and now in the world. France is a kingdom. It's not called that, but France is a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, England is a kingdom. The United States is a kingdom. Uh, Zambia is a kingdom. Like, these are all kingdoms, but they're countries led by human, by human leadership. Something led by human leadership could define a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is, for point of reference, think country or whatever, just led by God himself. And tangibly, that's what a Christian message tells us, is that when Jesus returns, he's actually going to be with us. God will dwell with us and actually rule us perfectly and justly and fairly. And that's what it's getting at in this Daniel 7 passage, is that when you look at the kingdoms of the world, they, they claw and destroy and oppress and kill in the end. They are not kingdoms like gods that are seeking the betterment of humanity, uh, to restore humanity to what it should have been in the first place. What they are seeking is a betterment of their own agendas, because in the end, human beings were supposed to go out to go throughout the world and build just and good kingdoms, but they didn't. I mean, it's Genesis, <laughs> uh, by example. They went out and built unjust kingdoms and oppressed and hurt and harmed. Mm-hmm. And um, God's kingdom is the only true just one. And so there's this idea that um, from Daniel 7 that whereas it's contrasting this idea that these kingdoms of the, of the world are not uh, everlasting. They are temporary. They are not just. They are unjust at their core. They may do good things every now and then. <clears throat> they may do good things. Babylon was fantastic for forwarding literacy and writing. That was one of the things that they did well, uh, really well. They recorded a lot of history. A lot of these kingdoms that you know Israel dealt with recorded history well. They also didn't worship Yahweh, and they also practiced human sacrifice, and they also took places over raping and killing as they pleased. Mm-hmm. No one would say those are, things, those are good things. Um, so they did good things, but at their core, the chief aim is not to restore the world to right or good. The chief aim is to restore to the world to their definition. To Babylon. Of, to Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. Restore the world to Assyria. Restore the world to Persia. God, the maker of the world, in his kingdom says, my goal is to restore the world to right again. Mm-hmm. And that's why we read this at the end, that as for, as for the beasts, their dominion was removed. Their rule, as, as for the, the kingdoms of this world, their temporary rule is removed. And the kingdom of God is established. Jesus is given dominion and glory in a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So there's this contrast going on there that's a very real world right here, right now. This is very present for Daniel and his friends. 
because they're not, I mean, they're serving the world power at this moment. Like they are not, they're not just like serving the world power. They're not like cooks for the world power. Like Daniel is like secretary of state for the world power. <laughs> so he's, he's in like, and he does this for like three different governments, whether it's Babylon, Assyria, and Persia. Um, so this, this vision is very real to him. Um, he's serving those kingdoms that will fade away. And for him, his God is telling him, all that you're doing and serving right now will fade away, but represent me. Be part of my kingdom in the midst of that kingdom because you're serving a kingdom that will fade away yeah. and will not be an everlasting one. And I think that's maybe where kingdom <clears throat> kind of uh, takes on a little bit different meaning too, where there's this geographic region of a kingdom. And that's yeah. like we have we have America, there's Canada, whatever, like that kind of uh, kingdom. And then you have uh, within that, like you said, there's these pockets of where God's kingdom is taking root in the world, yep. um, where the word kingdom almost takes on a verb mm, <laughs> more yeah. more so than like a geographic location yeah, where the, yeah. the kingdom, meaning his rule and his lordship and his, his reign in somebody's life is taking root. Yep. So you can be within a, a kingdom, but like the God's kingdom and meaning his rule over your life yeah. um, and his rule over situations and whatever can, totally. can create good. So, yes. Yeah. So it's like this, there's kind of the two part meaning of kingdom. Yep. And so Daniel is trying to live within the kingdom of Babylon mm-hmm. while still letting the kingdom of God uh, be his impetus for, for everything and what he's doing and how he walks in the kingdom of Babylon. Exactly. Exactly. And like, yeah, our, our modern understanding of nation is super, I mean, it's super recent, like last 300 years of what a nation is. And that does drive a misunderstanding about the kingdom of God and what matters when we're reading the Bible um, and how we interpret that. And so much of our, so much of our reality is spent saying that like our, our nations are more real to us than the kingdom of God is. But for Daniel and his friends, um, mm. there are numerous scenarios in which they are left to choose. Like Nebuchadnezzar's, like he's a psychopath. I mean, t- he's textbook psychopath. The guy, the guy threatens multiple crazy things, even when he says after after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the, the fiery furnace, as it's called, he says, uh, you should bow before the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. And if you don't, I will uh, kill you and your family and have you torn limb from limb and burn your house down. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's insane. Like, that's, imagine if I told you, if you vote for so-and-so, I will... Have you torn limb from limb, your, your family killed, and your house burned? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And so, like, don't, like, it's easy to skip over those realities that, like, they're, they're left to choose really hard choices. Like, mm-hmm. bow before Yahweh or bow before the psychopath who will very, really kill you. And the kingdom of God to them is so real and so active and present within their hearts and minds and the world yeah. and in Babylon itself that they are willing to say, okay throw me in the fiery furnace and see what happens. Because the ancient of days, the son of man will come and rescue me from that. And if he doesn't, he's still Lord. If he doesn't, That's he's still Lord. Exactly. Yeah. That's how real the kingdom of God is to them. Yeah. So how, how, do you, how would you say this starts to kind of like tying it into our today? Um, how would you say that this story, like what do you guys see and how it can start to speak into how we view ourselves? Mm. I guess we're in America. So like how do we view ourselves as Americans? Um, uh, and still having the kingdom of God yeah. be so real. Oh, can I start that one? Do you want to go next? 
Okay, so for for me, uh, I, I mean, I grew up in Midwestern America, Midwestern United States. Sorry, Midwestern America. Mid America is technically Central America, isn't it? Like Guatemala. Um, I did not grow up in Guatemala. I I grew up in Wisconsin, um, Central Wisconsin, Midwestern United States, and so much of my um, upbringing was uh, kind of revolved around um, nationalism. In a lot of ways, I think that's that's been a, that's been a thing in our country for a while, and, and really globally, like people have been loyal to their nation, their nation state, uh, the set borders that separate Germany and France, the United States and Mexico, the United States and Canada. Um, you're loyal to that, and that's very important. And we're grateful for our freedoms and that kind of thing. Um, but the first place this started for me, at least, this, so this is just for me, was the idea of like it never quite dawned on me that. In, in very real functional sense, that the kingdom of God is just in juxtaposition to the country I live in. It's just and fair in opposition to the country I live in, as if the country I live in is not just and fair. Does that make sense? Like, they, it never quite dawned on me right away. You're kind of saying it's it's okay that, uh, like, you, you realize that uh, although America may have done good things, yes, um, and it has good things embedded within it, yep. it's not in and of itself good. Exactly, exactly. Like that's that, kind of, and that's not what me you've saying talked that. about with yeah. other, like with with Babylon. Babylon yep. did good things, mm-hmm. but there are there are core faults, just like every person. Yep, like we can do good things. Exactly, but ultimately we are not good. Exactly, exactly. And that stem that st- again stems back to the idea that human beings from the Garden of Eden were charged to go out and create culture and create kingdoms and build these kingdoms and do it justly and fairly. And they failed to do that. And God is the only one who can build that just fair kingdom because he is the only just fair ruler. And uh, in my mind, I, that just never dawned on me that the scripture would ever teach that about the kingdoms of the world that I know well, as if to say, um, I should support everything that my country says and does, or that a certain political party says or does or whatever, like I should vote only Republican ticket or only Democratic ticket or whatever. Um, that's kind of the first place it started for me to be like, wait, are you, oh yeah, God, God's kingdom is just and fair. Wait a second. Are you saying that someone else could possibly be, that the United States might not be just and fair? Because I'm told that it is, right? Like that's, that's kind of in our constitution, isn't it? Like liberty and justice for all. That's in the, that's in the, uh, National, the Pledge of Allegiance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with liberty and justice for all. Um, scripture tells me something contrary to that. Mm-hmm. Scripture, scripture tells me it's liberty and justice for some, uh, and not all. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird place to live in, uh, from my standpoint. But mm. I don't, know. Eric. What? What? Just put you on the spot. What is that? <sighs> I don't know. Where do you sit on that? Yeah, okay, can you say the question again? In light of in, in light of Daniel, sorry, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. In light of Daniel, like, where do you, what does that make you respond to politics as, mm-hmm. about, like, living as a citizen of the kingdom of God where you are? I think, you know, I look at how, like, Daniel and his friends, as we've been calling them, <laughs> Daniel <laughs> sounds like friends. a... Sunday, Saturday morning cartoon show. Right. Um, <laughs> Daniel Tiger and his friends. <laughs> Daniel Tiger. Daniel and his friends. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I see them like living for God, but also submitting to mm. uh, like the authorities around them mm-hmm. in like a respectful way. Yeah. And I think like my, my tendency is to go like, like all God all the time, everything else 
useless. Mm. Uh, and so I think, like, I have a lot to learn from Daniel and his friends in the sense of, like, how did they, how did they live a life for God but also live a life that was, like, seen as, like, respecting and, and like, championing in the, in the good ways of the place they lived. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they, they took on Babylonian names, which, mm-hmm. like, I know is, like, a, a point of, uh, like, tension for some. Like, yeah. is it, like, but I think, like, I see, I see, like, they kind of accepted that. Like, because they, they heard God say, like, uh, like, go be here and, like, champion Babylon, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. You know, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're not going to do everything right. But like my call is for you to go there and, and be 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 a part of what they're doing, uh, and in, in a in a godly way. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I see that call in my own life, like as a as an American citizen, like mm. uh, not maybe for like, like the name part. I mean, I guess I'm adopted, so I had a Korean name and I took on an American name. Mm. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> I guess yeah. that, that that part works, yeah. I suppose. Um, but. Uh, I think like oh like I there are things because I live here that I have to be like for the cause of America, um, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and then when it when it starts to contradict, uh, like my faith or starts to contradict, uh, like my allegiance to God, that's when I you know I see Daniel and his friends stand up mm-hmm. and say like, I'm for this place, but if you're gonna make me choose between you and God, I'm gonna choose God every time. Yep. Uh, like consequences be what they what they'll be, mm. um, and not always like I'm for God, not for you. Get out of here! Mm-hmm. Like you stink, Babylon. Like yeah, yeah. I'm going back to the ruins <laughs> of my town, which some people did do. Yeah, you know, totally, and, totally. Um, and but like God seemed to really bless uh, Daniel and his friends in mm-hmm. their pursuit of wrestling in the kind of awkward tension of being for Babylon, but also for God. And yeah. um, so, I mean, I see that. That's where I go. Like, I think I, that's... I need to be that. Uh, exactly. And I think that's where I think people... That's a, such a healthy perspective. I think that's where God actually really, really uses use an individual to uh, plant little bits and pieces of his kingdom there. It's like when Jeremiah writes... I mean, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Daniel, technically, in the idea that like they're both writing in the same exilic period. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah says... Uh, uh, the events recorded are happening in the same exact period. And Jeremiah encourages people to yeah, plant vineyards where you are, uh, have families. I mean, they're asking, like, what do we do here in Babylon? Uh, well, just plant vineyards, uh, pick up a trade, maybe get a hobby, like have kids. <laughs> and, like, vineyards <laughs> is, like, such a long-term investment. Yes, like, it yes. takes, like, what, like, three totally. years for it to be viable. And so it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh you yeah. want me to, like, really put roots in here. Yeah, you're saying don't don't make me long for another separate time where I get away from here. Mm-hmm. Make me put down roots. Mm-hmm. And that uh for me, like I I'm really challenged in my heart of hearts in the idea that like, you know, growing up in school I said the pledge of allegiance a lot or whatever. Mm-hmm. My wife always laughs at me cuz I like I personally have kind of problems with it just in the sense mm-hmm. of like I don't want to pledge allegiance to the flag because I feel like I'm like I grew up saying that and that reading this text from Daniel makes me feel like, oh, I was lied to uh, a little bit uh, about what I'm pledging my allegiance to and being like, yeah, there is a there is a difference between pledging your allegiance to the kingdom of God and pledging your allegiance to the flag. They're two different things, but at the same time, my initial instinct is to kind of run away from pledging allegiance to it and not put down roots. And at the same time, I'm commanded to 
actually be obedient to God where you are, and that's how you put down good roots, and the kingdom of God grows in a healthy way here. Like, I need to engage with politics and engage with the United States and what's, what goes on here, you know? Yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> kind of breaking down from from Daniel a little bit, um, when we get even to the more minutia of our world in America, where we have, we just had election week last week. Mm -hmm. Um, we're recording this in the fall, so, um, we won't be releasing it for a while, but we just had the midterm elections. And I think if you think about conversations that you've had with people about political politics, different candidates, it can get pretty heated, um, which, is really interesting, and you have people, uh, people that either both people are following Jesus, uh, and they can fall on complete opposite ends mm-hmm. of the spectrum. And I think it goes back to listening to other people and realizing that uh, hopefully that all of us, as we go and we seek our political opinions, we are trying to find out what we think is best for the most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might fall on different sides of the aisle in that, but we have so much to learn from other people walking through the same political ideas um, and uh, people who fall on the other side, if they have the best interest of other people, it's worth listening to them. Like yeah. it's worth hearing why they think things are, are good for others. We might end up still disagreeing, yeah. uh, but I think from a, from a, should we get heated about this stuff? Mm. Maybe not. Maybe we just don't know. Maybe we don't understand enough about how another viewpoint could be helping more people. So I think it's always worth listening to. The other thing that I, I don't know exactly how Daniel and his friends interacted in this, but it, I, I think that this would fall in line with them. I, when, when I personally look at people in power um, in America, so I look at Donald Trump right mm, now, yeah. um, and I think he's the easiest example. Um, it's easy for me uh, sometimes to get frustrated at the things he says on Twitter mm-hmm. um, or the way that he says certain things. Um, but um, I think that each person that's in power, whoever it is, uh, Barack Obama, Trump, whoever whoever it is, uh, they are a person with a soul. Yeah. And uh, it's easy because of who they are, and they're in this position of power. And I've never I'm never going to meet them. Uh, it's easy for me to forget the reality that they matter to God as a person. Hmm. And so I shouldn't be walking around and slandering yeah. this person, uh, no matter how much I agree or disagree totally. with what they're doing in their job. Um, I think it's so important, not that I do this well, <laughs> mm. but when I reflect on this, like I, I don't want to forget to not slander and to think yeah. well of people and to pray for these people and their soul, because that's what matters more than whatever happens in America. Yep. Um, what matters is, is eternity. And yeah. so just... I think that can be a really helpful tool for maybe maybe that's what helped um, Daniel and his friends was they had this perspective of who's really uh, mm. in charge of it all and yep. what's always going to happen. And so that allowed them to say, throw us in the furnace. God is in control of this whole thing. Yep. Uh, but we're not going to we're not going to try to beat you down, Nebuchadnezzar. We're just going to live well under you and speak well of you. Yeah. Um, and pray for you. I don't know if they prayed, but, yeah. but that yeah. idea for us, I think can be really helpful and not forgetting that each political candidate, um, especially as we come into two years from now, it might be worth, um, yeah. considering how we speak of people. And that's so in line with, despite, I mean, Daniel has another dream in which, I mean, before we get to this dream in which Nebuchadnezzar, well, he interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that shows multiple, like this giant statue made out of different materials. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, hey, this thing is actually your, your kingdom that gets destroyed by this giant stone that rolls in and like wrecks stuff. 
and he uh, he tell, respectfully tells Nebuchadnezzar that, hey, guess what? Your kingdom is going to be destroyed. And Nebuchadnezzar, like, accepts this because Daniel is not, a, probably not a total jerk, but he's very respectful about the whole conversation. He's super respectful uh, and honoring of this king, this psychopathic king who, like, kills people at a whim. Uh, and, like, I, I just don't think... If he had stormed Nebuchadnezzar's uh, prideful gates and just said, you suck, you're terrible, uh, and your, your whole kingdom is just going to crumble, Nebuchadnezzar probably would have killed him. But Daniel had this gentle, kind, gentle, good, faithful, sounds like fruit of the spirit, approach mm-hmm. to discussing the stuff with Nebuchadnezzar and being honest about that dream, being forthright about what his kingdom is and what it stands for versus what Nebuchadnezzar says it does. Yet at the same time, um, being super graceful and respectful to where he's, he's honored and doesn't feel disrespected, and he hears that. And so that's, that's so vitally important to engage in those conversations kindly and not, not with, like, vitriol. Uh, and that's, that's where, like, the identity identifying with a political party or a candidate as if that person will rescue you or save America or whatever, like, that's not... That's not what it means to be faithful to God in the middle of this, you know? That's the crazy part to me, that, like, we could, we as Christians could very easily say, the Republican Party will help us, or the Democrats will help us, when it's like, no, that's not actually, that that is a a right and wrong issue when you're saying, you're putting those parties and that politics in the chair of of Jesus Mm -hmm. alone, who does interact with our real world in a very real way right here, right now. Yeah. And we are running out of time. Yes, we are. Sorry. Uh, but I have, I have some thoughts that maybe are worth thinking about. These are more questions um, to, to keep thinking about when it comes to politics and how you're going to interact with it. Uh, one would be kind of asking the question, how did we see Jesus interacting with political issues at his time? And what mm. were those big issues? So kind of dig into that. Um, and then how can we best interact with people who have very different political opinions than us? Mm. Um, and then... How, how can we interact with the idea of can we elevate certain political platforms above others or how do we wrestle with that in America? I think those are very tangible realities that we have uh, and might be worth asking questions and kind of wrestling through. Totally. So we can't talk on all of those, but uh, worth asking those questions. Yeah, take those and stew on those for yourself. Yeah. Uh, don't just accept spoon feeding. Actually think about it after you're done listening. Can you close us out with that song thing again? Which one? I don't know. The I don't know. Eric, come to song. Do, 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 do. This podcast has been brought to you by Karuba Gold Cafe. <laughs> 99 cents at your local quick trip. Your voice is incredible for radio, Eric. Herman. My goodness. Bobby Newport. Bobby Bobby, New- Bobby Newport. Bobby uh, Bobby. The Newport. voting machines that are like, hey, you voted for the wrong. Like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that's the right vote? We'll Take give you your Sweetums candy. <laughs> On that note, whatever happens, vote for Sweetums. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today and grow you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Grow You podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page, leave a comment, and share the podcast with your friends on social media. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And again, thanks for listening. <laughs>